Sakina Kamwendo on SAFM. It's eight minutes after 12, the start of a brand new week. Welcome to Updated Noon and thanks so much for tuning in. Well, I have to start by issuing an apology. Unfortunately, uh, judging by your messages coming through, we have a problem with the transmission and uh, many of you either can't hear or there's a break in transmission ever so often. So we really, really do apologize for that. Uh, But we are going to try and move on as planned and hopefully uh, you'll be able to to catch that which you missed out on via either our Twitter feed because we will be um, actually uh, tweeting about what is happening on the show or you can actually listen to the podcast later on. So that's what we'll do in an effort to try and keep you up to speed with what we'll be covering here on Update at Noon. And in case, just in case, there's someone who can hear us clearly, um, SMS number is 40938. You can tweet your Facebook at Update at Noon, or you can leave us a WhatsApp voice note on 082-692-3909. And uh, what, of course, uh, we are going to bring you this afternoon, uh, Dudusani, Zuma, well, he appeared in court. He's out on 100,000 Rand bail. Then we'll also take a look at what happened in that press briefing uh, that was held by suspended SARS Commissioner Tom Moyane. And of course, Asasa, some grant recipients still making a beeline for the South African um, Asasa payments this morning. And uh, we understand the post office strike is in full swing. So uh, waiting to see what comes out of that. And if you know anyone who is still struggling to access their grant payment, please do let us know. And then a very disturbing story. Once again, the Lily Mine. We understand that there's been some unrest there. Zama Zama's fighting at that mine. Um, there may have been some shooting and we'll follow up uh, just to get the latest in that regard. And in Durban, not sure what's going on with those explosive devices being found all over the show, especially at uh, some of the shopping centers. So uh, apparently another one found this morning. So we'll follow up on that as well. But as promised, we're going to start here with uh, Tom and that press briefing that took place earlier today. So um, lawyers for suspended South African Revenue Service Commissioner Tom Moyane say that their client has been treated unfairly since his suspension three months ago. Moyane is responding to President Cyril Ramaphosa's letter after requesting that the investigation into the Revenue Service that is being chaired by retired Judge Robert Nugent be stopped or disbanded. In the last three months, Mr. Moyani has had to endure every single type of unfairness and injustice imaginable, including to mention but a few verbal insults, wild and unfounded accusations, unfair suspension, trial by media, the appointment of a biased chairperson in Judge Kate O'Regan, the appointment of a conflicted panelist in Professor Michael Katz, an inadmissible affidavit of a hostile minister of an irrelevant portfolio, unlawfully obtained evidence, invasion of his privacy and family space, media leaks from the highest office in the land to embedded journalists, doctored audio tapes, bias leading of selective evidence by disgruntled employees, Ladies and gentlemen, it is against that background that Commissioner Moyana was pleasantly surprised to receive the latest letter from the Honorable President in which, for the very first time, sanity seems to have prevailed. This letter which he welcomes was a breath of fresh air. It contains the President's response to a specific set of demands with a deadline of last Friday, which was met by the President. In short, The demand was for the president to stop one or both of the two parallel inquiries currently underway, failing which legal action was to have commenced this week in either the High Court or in the Constitutional Court. The cautious and commendable approach is that the president will await the ruling of Advocate Azar Abam SC on the objections raised and which are scheduled for oral argument on 21 July 2018. Before receiving the President's letter, we already held five instructions from Mr. Moyani to bring a court application to review and set aside last week's ruling of Commissioner Nugent, based on gross 
irrationality. Among other irregularities, he refused to excuse Professor Michael Katz, who has effectively admitted to his conflict of interest as being the president's personal attorney. That ruling was in any event made by an improperly constituted commission in the unexplained absence of all the appointed assistants to Commissioner Nugent. However, our courts correctly discouraged piecemeal litigation and the president's new approach will thankfully allow for all the unlawful decisions to be attacked in one consolidated court action. I must confess, I've never understood this concept of Stalingrad approach, especially in the context where Mr. Moyana is simply asking for fairness in the whole process. If he followed the case, he would have seen that his stance has always been consistent. He's always said he wants the inquiry to be fair. Let's start with the inquiry before Bam. The initial complaint was that the president wanted the inquiry on paper. Ostensibly, that is unfair. And we've raised that issue pertinently with the president. Similarly, before Nugent, we complained about the unfairness of not having been invited to the inquiry. We complained about the presence of Professor Michael Katz. So there's absolutely nothing Stalingrad about that. We've always said, once the president removes the stumbling blocks, we are happy to attend the inquiry. And that was Eric Mabuza, lawyer of Suspended South African Revenue Services Commissioner Tom Moyane. So for further analysis on this matter, we join on the line by Director at Peter Goss, PTY LTD and Corporate Governance Expert Peter Goss. Thanks so much for speaking to us on Updated Noon. Thank you for having me. Peter, first and foremost, so um, Mr. Eric Mabuza invoking the Stalingrad defense there. Do you think that he has a point, uh, given that, you know, he's spoken about this unfair process whereby his client is being subjected to two parallel processes at the same time? The principle of parallel processes is a bit of a tricky one um, in context of a fact-gathering commission of inquiry as they have in place right now. And then the rights of parties that may be directly or indirectly affected by that particular proceedings. I don't believe that in law one can stop either of the processes successfully. However, that doesn't mean that to embark on exercising your legal right to challenge uh, the need for due legal process as you envision it through your counsel is incorrect. So it's not wrong to go and seek out or challenge current legal proceedings against the backdrop that they might affect your future rights in law. So our constitution is fundamentally based on those principles that one can go and defend, one can go and seek out, one can seek out to protect your rights in law by a particular legal proceeding that's in motion or that might be in motion in the future. And this is why we got you, because from a corporate governance uh, perspective, do you think that these proceedings running parallel is sound? From a corporate governance perspective, the cautionary approach I would have advised would have been to finalize the matters of discipline, to finalize um, matters of other legal recourse that might uh, stem from that or directly arising from that disciplinary process, and then to go about a fact-finding mission. However, I appreciate the political dilemma we have in which SARS must be seen to be reconstructing itself. Now, do you wait for that before other processes are finalized, or do you try to reconstruct an organization that's having difficulties with its own integrity? What is the matter of national interest right now, is the question to ask. I do think that you can't argue that it is a matter of national interest to understand what's gone wrong with SARS and reconstruct SARS. So the answer isn't black and white. Mm. The, answer, the answer is somewhere in the middle, and that middle is a compromise. SARS has to be understood and reconstructed. So there, validation for the Commission. On the other hand, the parties affected by legal recourse uh, have the right also not to be compromised by that process of reconstructing SARS. 
<laughs> so, uh, you know, one is left between a rock and a hard place. So I don't think it's a, it's a black and white answer. I think it's a grey answer somewhere in the middle. It certainly seems that way at this point. Uh, but then also, you know, again, uh, he reiterated uh, some of the points that uh, uh, Advocate Dalian Porfo raised. For example, Michael Katz being the president's personal attorney and uh, that uh, coming in as a conflict of interest as far as um, Moyane and his legal team are concerned. What's your take on that? You know, one needs to manage matters of conflict in this fashion. Perception of conflict can be as much as um, reality of conflict in the eyes of the public. What do we run these processes for? The integrity of justice, the integrity of all types of fair judicial process, uh, the integrity of fair administrative justice in the eyes of the general public too, in the eyes of society too. If the perception leans on that society will perceive the process is unfair, then we should err on the side of removing the potential conflict. So whether there's an actual or potential conflict, we leave that to the courts. But the mere fact that there is the question of an actual or potential conflict means roles of different parties in the process have to be revisited. And in trying to manage that perception, as you say, whether real or perceived, uh, wouldn't it have been prudent at this point perhaps for the president to uh, maybe look into what has been raised? Uh, the judge, uh, retired judge Robert Nugent, he indicated that uh, he has absolutely no control. It was the president who actually appointed the commissioners. But uh, Dali Mpofu again pointing out to him that he actually does have agency in this matter. Well, does he? Just how much uh, you know, maneuverability is there for Judge Nugent in this regard? Once you appoint a judge, I believe it would be highly questionable to the integrity of justice, albeit this is a commission of inquiry. He has a judicial, uh, judicial, pro- it is a judicial process. And it will be highly of questionable integrity to simply terminate, suspend, or revisit the commission while in action. So Judge sitting over the matter right now, has every right to make decisions that he believes are appropriate for the progression of that inquiry. I think it will be highly irregular for a third party to now step in and say, stop, suspend, don't move forward, but you have my opinion on it. And just a final question. With regard to this now becoming about uh, Tom Moyani as opposed to the issues at SARS and why they were unable to actually uh, collect as much revenue as they were expected to, again, what is your view with regard to this? Uh, do you think that the Commission has somewhat lost its way or is it well on track? The Commission can simply not control the testimony of witnesses. So one can't blame the Commission for, quote-unquote, losing its way. Witnesses will give testimony and be led in testimony uh, in relation to tax administration and governance at starts. And if that reflects on parties, individuals, service providers, so be it. You cannot manage that so tightly, uh, barring ending up with a hamstrung Commission. So I believe that the Commission has to do its work as comprehensively as it can, and what it gets uh, from witnesses, from parties in the know, from documentation presented to it, it has to consider that in making its recommendations to its principle about tax administration and governance at large. So I don't believe that um, the Commission, in gathering evidence comprehensively, uh, should uh, caution itself, should hold back. It should gather evidence comprehensively in relation to tax administration and governance at start. That is the mandate. Uh, to your question, is it about a person? It is not about a person. It is about tax administration and governance at start. Well, Peter Goss, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Director at Peter Goss, PTY, LTD and Corporate Governance Expert there. Just unpacking and uh, helping us to understand uh, some of the intricacies that have arisen out of this uh, SARS inquiry. And that brings us up to 22 minutes after 12.
The University of Limpopo Alumni and Convocation President, Advocate Bongani Thomas Bongo, invites all alumni and convocation members to the University of Limpopo Convocation Annual General Meeting as follows. Saturday, the 21st of July, 2018, 11 o'clock a.m. R40 Conference Hall. Send your agenda items at your earliest convenience to mapasa.thoti at ul.ac.za. Send confirmation for attendance to gloria.plaki at ul.ac.za. University of Limpopo, finding solutions for Africa. Next week on Real Talk, they hustled their entire lives to make it big and then lost it all. Hear from people who've bounced back from financial ruin. It remains the number one killer disease in South Africa. So we get real on how we grapple with TV. And winter will be done before you know it. So it's time to take a look at some of the diet trends to get your 2018 summer body. That's Real Talk Monday to Friday, live at 6 p.m. on SABC3. Sakina Kamwendo on SAFM. Well, it's 23 minutes after 12 and time for an econ briefing. And uh, this afternoon, it's with Francis Hurd, SABC's very own economics reporter. Thanks, Sakina. It's a great start to the week. The JSE up by 1.5% or thereabouts. NASPAS up 2.5%, which is big for the biggest stock on the market, the owner of DSTV, Mnet, and of course Tencent, uh, the big IT, the big gaming company in China. A lot of optimism around China today. Uh, before we get to that, it's, it's looking good the world over. Stock markets rallied to a two-week high this morning, and that is partly linked to China's plans to ease access to its uh, stock markets for foreign investors. So more foreigners can invest in the Shanghai, the Shenzhen stock markets. Uh, I've been to Shenzhen and it's incredible. That's the the market that, uh, like the NASDAQ, focuses on, on tech stocks. The gains are a big relief, of course, after the sell-off driven by fears of that uh, trade war. At least that's not escalating for now. But of course, the US and China did slap those tit-for-tat duties on $34 billion worth of each other's imports on Friday. Uh, for now, a hold. The, the irony, uh, looking back at China opening its markets, is, is really that the, the U.S. is closing in on itself a bit with these import tariffs. China keeps on talking about opening up, talking about multilateralism uh, and now being more friendly to foreign investors. All right, let's see how this looks uh, for the RAND. And um, not surprisingly, the currency is stronger. It's remaining below 13 rand 45 to the dollar. That's after it reached a seven-month low of 14 rand to the dollar recently. So we've come back off that. The dollar um, playing a big factor here. It's it's a bit weaker. And now what's important to look at is the, the jobs data that came out of the U.S. on Friday. Mixed, but basically suggesting that inflation may not rise as much as expected in the United States. Of course, to deal with inflation, the Fed there, the central bank, would have to raise interest rates. If they don't raise as much as expected this year, uh, say four times, it could be better for us because our interest rates here in South Africa uh, remain relatively higher, more attractive for longer. So that's seen as good for us uh, pushing down the dollar at the moment and pushing up emerging markets uh, currencies, including the RAND. Then let's finally look at the platinum miners. They're also up on the market. Um, but there's some issues highlighted by Impala Platt warning today of possible job losses. Now, Impala already cut 2,500 jobs over the past year. So basically, there could be more. This is the world's second largest producer of platinum. So it's time to talk about minerals. And we have some of the largest deposits of platinum in the world here and in Zimbabwe. Uh, some say we could work together, basically be like a monopoly. Uh, the trade and industry minister once said, you know, we'll always have platinum. No one can take that away from us. But is this such a strategic advantage anymore? Platinum is used in jewelry. Uh, and we know we're all a bit fickle there, catalytic converters in cars. So there it's been indispensable. But the way people are making cars is different. And, of course, it's we're moving elect, uh, towards uh, electrical vehicles. And if they find another material anyway for catalytic converters, there could be a problem. So the platinum price down. It hit a nine-year uh, low last week, and platinum platinum can also be recycled. So it depends. Uh, there could be uh, a glut, as we've seen in some parts of the world, because that platinum can be reused and reused. So this is a big concern. Again, focusing on those Rustenburg mines, Implats employing thirty-one thousand people, and they're saying they'll do a strategic review. All right, let's leave it there. Thank you very much.
Thank you so much, Francis. And uh, Francis heard, of course, uh, primetime news and business anchor here at the SABC. And you can catch her tonight, uh, 6 to 8.30 p.m. on uh, our SABC News channel. It's 27 minutes after 12. Now, coming back to one of the other big stories today, and that was, of course, uh, Duduzane Zuma. And he is now out on 100,000 Rand bail. Now, former President Jacob Zuma's son appeared before the Specialized Commercial Crimes Court in Johannesburg this morning. He'd been charged with corruption and alternatively conspiracy to commit corruption. Mbali Tetani compiled this report. It was a busy morning for former President Jacob Zuma's son as he began his day by handing himself over to the Johannesburg Central Prison. Upon completing all the formalities, he was then transported by the police where he was due in the specialized commercial crime court. Tutuzani Zuma has been wanted by the Hawks for the past two years now, this relating to his involvement in the Gupta plot to bribe former Deputy Finance Minister Mzibisi Jonas. Jonas was allegedly offered the position of Finance Minister as well as a bribe of 600 million rand in 2015 in a meeting where Zuma was allegedly present. Zuma has been charged with corruption and alternatively conspiring to commit corruption. Upon arriving in the court in a police van, Zuma was escorted to Court B. He was seen wearing a striped black and white coat cuffed in ankle chains. He appeared calm and at some point joked around with journalists as he stood in the dock. It was a brief appearance where the state told the magistrate that it intends on not opposing bail as they understand that the former president's son has other pending cases against him. The state asked the court that he should report to the police station once a week and should ask for permission should he need to leave the country. Magistrates Janssen van Furen did also indicate to the state that they do have a weak case against Zuma as investigations have now been underway for two years. Van Furen granted Zuma 100,000 rand bail and is expected back in court on the 24th of January 2019. Ambali Tetani in Johannesburg. And uh, with that, uh, we come to the end of the first half hour. But let me just apologize once again for the loss of transmission. And I'm not sure. I think some of you, your transmitters may be back up uh, because I see at least two messages. Nasleen uh, Richards and also um, Ayanda Makabane saying that uh, you back on. Everybody else, though, not uh, seemingly not. And then Reginald Vidboy, our colleague, says um, you need to upgrade Sakina Mama didn't give you the signal. Well, we are so badly trying to access that signal right now, Reginald Vidboy, and hopefully it will be out. But I tell you what, not to despair, we will podcast the entire show for you, so hopefully you'll be able to access it uh, there. But right now, it's 12.30 and Utsile Sako standing by with the latest news headlines. Thanks, Sakina. Lawyers for suspended SARS Commissioner Tom Moyani say President Cyril Ramaphosa has indicated that he'll wait for an outcome in Moyani's disciplinary inquiry headed by advocate Azar Bam before making a decision on demands put to him. Some of the defense witnesses in the trial of a 29-year-old man accused of multiple rape charges have refused to come to court to testify. David Mamvura is facing charges of rape, housebreaking and robbery which happened in and around Bulugwani between 2012 and 2014. And Beyonce and Jay-Z will headline the Mandela 100 Global Citizen Festival at FNB Stadium in Johannesburg on the 2nd of December. Details at 1. This is SAFM Sport. Good afternoon, I'm John Carricker. We start with the FIFA World Cup. Croatia spent the day yesterday recovering after an extra time and penalty shootout win. They beat Russia to set up a meeting with England in the semi-finals. BBC's football reporter Steve Crossman feels, though, that Croatia should have the beating of England on Wednesday. You look at the England team and the Croatian team player for player and Croatia are a better team. And you also have to consider that in England's last game against Sweden, they were playing against two central midfielders, one who was in a team that struggled in the English second tier and another that was relegated from the Bundesliga and this time they'll come up with two central midfielders one who plays for Barcelona and the other for Real Madrid who's just won the Champions League plus they have a centre-back who played in the Champions League final and three incredibly exciting and dynamic attacking players who I think will really stretch England so um, yeah I, I would say Croatia a favourite.
England's Jordan Henderson's an injury doubt with a tight hamstring. Jamie Vardy's another injury concern after sustaining a groin strain in extra time against Colombia last Tuesday. Tomorrow, it's France against Belgium. Kickoff at 8 o'clock. Latest betting sees France as 2-1 to for the overall title. England are at 5-2, to Belgium at 13-5 to and Croatia at 4-1. to Put some money on Belgium. Just just telling you now. Why? Just, just telling you now. Put some money on Belgium. No, can you back that up, please? Because they're going to win. That's why. No, they're not. Okay. But what are you going to put your money on? Of the four, pick one. France. France. All the way. Okay. Two to one. It's not a bad bet either. No. All right. Can we get a cricket? <laughs> get a cricket now, please. Uh, Dale Steyn got to do some serious bowling as South Africa's tour match in Sri Lanka is uh, finished yesterday. Dale Steyn bowled 12 overs, none for 52. Fell in at 9 for 25. All the wickets there. Shumzi, 5 for 45 or 13 overs. Batsman had a chance out there. Makram didn't perform. He was out for a first ball duck. But Amla scored a 78. Bavuma, 58. Faf du Plessis, 79. Dale Steyn towards the bottom of the inning scored 26 as well. The match ended in a draw. Elsewhere, the 30-20 between India and England was played yesterday. India scored 201 for 3 in reply to England's 198 for 9. India winning by 7 wickets and the three-match series 2-1. And Pakistan beat Australia in the tri-series in Harare. Pakistan winning by six wickets with four balls remaining. Some rugby news. Springbok lose forward Dan Dupria is an injury worry ahead of the Sharks' clash against the Jaguars in Durban this weekend. He suffered a neck injury against the Stormers at Newlands. His twin brother, Jean-Luc, is also not expected to be available. Despite the loss at Newlands, the Sharks are still in the running for a spot in the playoffs, but they need the Highlanders to beat the Rebels in Dunedin. If that proves to be the case, then a victory over the Jaguars at Kings Park will be enough for the Sharks to sneak into the playoffs. Big tennis today. Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Serena Williams all in action on Manic Monday. All the men's and women's last 16 ties take place today. It's one of the most exciting days on the tennis calendar. Also today, Gelman Feast means eight seed Kevin Anderson. Formula One news, Ferrari Sebastian Vettel won the British Grand Prix at Silverstone yesterday. Lewis Hamilton fought his way from the back of the field to take second. He's not happy about that crash with Kimi Raikkonen, Raikkonen finishing in third. Vettel now has an eight-point lead over Hamilton, and he's quite happy about it. I like this race. I think everybody loves this track, and obviously it's not our home ground, but it was great to see after so many years where we were weak here and Mercedes was so strong that we were able to take their magic away and have a you know a fight uh, on an equal level and uh, of course the start was crucial but also then the safety car you know we had to fight for it and very satisfying Arguably, South Africa's best cyclist, Ashley Mulman-Pasio, is currently 16th after the third stage of the female Giro d'Italia. South African riders just 31 seconds off the lead of Lee Kirchman of Canada. The men are on the Tour de France stage three today. is a 36-kilometer team time trial. Peter Sagan won yesterday's stage to take the overall lead. Uh, he took it away from stage one winner, Fernando Gaviaria, who was unable to contest the sprint finish. And finally, some golfing news. Russell Knox won the Irish open for the first and uh, on the first hole of the playoff against Ryan Fox both players ended on 14 under par Knox birdied the first playoff hole to secure his second European tour title it's so hard to win win tournaments and uh, I mean the way I managed to do it holding those two long putts I mean uh, it was just my time I mean Ryan played incredible obviously and uh, I mean the I mean that lip out on the last I mean it felt for him but uh, I mean just like I said it was my time I'm, I feel very lucky Eric van Rooyen was the best place South African. He finished two strokes off the lead on 12 under par. Zander Lombard finished tied in sixth place on nine under. That's the sports for now. All this afternoon for SAFM Sports, I'm John Carricker. Sakina Kamwendo on SAFM. Well, thanks, John. He'll be back tomorrow. And uh, don't listen to him. Listen to me. Uh, Listen to me. Trust me. (laughs) I've got this. But uh, thank you so much, uh, John Hirika, with the sport there. He'll be back tomorrow. But let me tell you what you missed out on, because I think most of you are back on with us now. Most of those transmitters up and running. Uh, What you missed in that first half hour um, is, of course, we spoke to uh, uh, Peter Goss. He is the director of uh, Peter Goss, PTY LTD. 
and he's also a corporate governance expert. And we were speaking to him about uh, SARS, uh, suspended SARS commissioner Tom Moyane and that press briefing that took place earlier on. And we also played some clips from that briefing. And uh, also Duduzane Zuma, he's out on a 100,000 rand bail. And uh, he was, of course, uh, appearing this morning before the Specialized Commercial Crimes Court in Johannesburg. And that report by Mbali Tetani and, of course, an economics update with Francis Heard. That's what you may have missed. Uh, there will be a podcast so you can go and listen back to that. But right now, let's uh, move it straight along. And if you've just joined us, welcome to Update at Noon. Now, there's been another bomb scare at Pavilion Mall in uh, Durban, KwaZulu-Natal today. And this comes after two explosive devices were found at different places in the city over the past few days. And this includes incidents at Woolworth stores, which saw the Gateway Mall having to be evacuated. For more on this, we're joined on the line now by our reporter, Fanele Mthongo. Fanele, good afternoon. So can you please tell us exactly what is happening and where was the device found today? Uh, what we can say is that um, currently the situation is back to normal at the Pavilion Mall uh, in Deben. Food court entrance is now open for trading. This after that um, entrance was cutting off as there was a bomb scam earlier today. However, the SAPS bomb squad has identified the item as not a threat and they have also left the scene. Uh, so people are now, uh, so now the situation is back to normal. People are shopping in that centre. But Fanele, what are the police saying? Are they saying anything more about uh, the frequency with which these now are uh, occurring and also who might be behind it? Uh, the provincial police who were also there at the scene said that they cannot give us an official comment. We will only get it from the national police spokesperson. So we are now still trying to get hold of the of the police nationally. However, we can confirm that people in, in the province, especially who are going to the malls, they are now living in fear. This after more suspected bomb-like devices have been found in different places around Devon. And on Thursday last week, two were found and denoted, and denoted at Woolworth and Gateway and Pavilion. And then on Saturday, a bomb-like device was also found at Woolworth and Gateway. Um, same, uh, and, and then on Sunday, other two bomb-like uh, devices were found under the cars in Devon. So this is what has, has, has led to, to people living in fear here around Devon. And speaking of the people living in fear, have you had opportunity to speak to some of the workers or the patrons in these malls and what do they have to say about these incidents? Yes, we spoke to some of the people and we were able to even speak to some of the workers from Woolworth. They are saying that they are living in fear and what is giving them a hard time is the fact that even if there has been these reports, they are just um, not, they are not evacuated, but instead they are expected to continue working and they say that their lives are at risk because instead if there are such reports, they, they were expecting that maybe the management will maybe close the shop until uh, everything has been cleared. But people are only told that they must continue working while police are still doing their work on the other side of the shop. Well, Fanele Mthonga, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much. Our reporter out in Durban at the Pavilion Mall where another bomb scare has taken place. And as she said, uh, the mall had to be evacuated. But, uh, of course, it seems everything is back to normal now. But many questions to be asked about what is happening in Durban at the moment because this doesn't seem to be, you know, just coincidence that you have these parcels, these uh, bomb-like parcels placed all over the show. And three in two days, is it? I think there's something happening there. So we'll have to follow up on that. But at a later stage, it's 20 minutes before one. Sakina Kamwendo on SAFM. Well, um, let's move on to the post office now, where workers are still on strike following negotiations that hit deadlock. Workers are demanding a 12% salary increase, while Telcom, we understand, is offering workers a 3% and the post office a 6%. The parties are back at the CCMA today to try and forge a way forward and to talk to us about the impact that this is possibly having on the Sasa grant payments. We join on the line now by our South African uh, post office CEO, Mark Barnes. Mr. Barnes, good to speak to you again. Welcome to Update at Noon. 
Thank you for your interest. How are you all? Sounds, the news sounds, doesn't all sound good. And yeah. No, it doesn't. And I'm wondering, is it any better on your side? Well, we are stepped out of the negotiation right now to come and talk to you. Um, we, we in uh, under the auspices of the C, CCMA, we are in negotiations with all of our unions trying to cut a deal. Um, as we stand here, we've got quite a few branch closures around the country. I can give you the list, but I'm sure you don't want all of that detail. Uh, but we're really trying to get to a deal. I think as far as SASA is concerned, uh, and the payment of beneficiaries, I think those uh, technical problems of last week have been resolved. But it's now down to basic economics. What can we afford? How can we find a middle ground to get back to work? So what can you afford as the South African Post Office? Well, um, we're going to have to find the money, whatever we put on the table. I mean, as I think everyone knows, uh, we have uh, we are still in a situation where we are running operational losses and we've got a backlog of creditors which we're trying to settle. But again, we're in positive discussions with our department and with National Treasury on on, how, on, on a long-term solution which we've, we've tabled, which we think can work. So uh, we've got no money, is the short answer, but we've got to find time. And mm. what we've tabled is a 6% increase um, across the board and we're hoping that we can settle there and we're hoping it can happen very soon. Well, that comes to about half of what the unions are demanding. And uh, South African post office workers, they've allegedly, according to what they're telling us, they've not had a wage increase in two years to boot. That's true. So uh, it's true that they haven't had increases. And the, the reason that they were tolerant of that is because I think we were able to demonstrate to them that we need to stay at work and that we need to start turning the post office around financially before we can afford to pay increases. You know, you can get to a tipping point in an organization where if you, you know, our costs, our staff costs are approaching 70% of our total cost base. For an organization to survive and make profits, that needs to be around 40%. If you push that too far, then you achieve nothing at all because you actually kill the goose that's laying the egg. Okay. And so we're trying to have those discussions. We accept, and the unfairness of it is, and the sympathy I have for our workers, is that other SOEs have had increases, and they've got the same plight. And, and our unions have been very cooperative with us for, for two years, saying we'll try and do this together. And I think, if the truth be known, people are just struggling out there, man. You know, people just don't have they money, and they're in debt. And so we're trying to come to the table, despite the economics. So what would make your life slightly better at this point? If you had one wish granted, um, where would you go in the immediate term to try and alleviate the plight, not only of your workers, but of all South Africans who depend on the post office for services? We have to, we have to start understanding the difference between investing and, and consuming. We have to invest. I mean, the way out of out of trouble is, is not to stand back, it's to plow capital into the uh, into a solution. And that capital has to come from foreign direct investment, and we have to present a convincing future South Africa uh, to the rest of the world so that we can invest that capital, because our tax base is not sufficient to support our growth plans. And so, you know, it's, it's time for us to draw a line behind us and paint a picture forward which is there. I'm 100% convinced that this country can do it together. If we can, com- if we can fl- convince the world that every cent of capital that comes in here goes into the ground to build our infrastructure and capacity, and if we can convince the state to build state capacity, like in the post office, instead of supporting private sector, then I think we can start coming together in a capital equation that attracts money, and that builds permanent assets. Mark, uh, just a final one. When you came to the post office, uh, you were seen as a messiah. Has that job proven to be a lot more difficult than you had anticipated? Uh, well, two things. First of all, I'm not a messiah. And second of all, yes, much more difficult. Uh, you know, a very, very... The post office was beyond dead, uh, you know, not to use too many alarmist words, but we were in a deep hole, in a very deep hole with a basic economic model uh, that wasn't going to grow. I mean, basic personal services are not growing. And we had to diversify. We had to hurry up and get our banking license. We had to diversify into getting bigger slug of government business so that we saved money into the fiscus. That's proved a very hard political and economic journey. But I'm not giving up just yet.
Final one from one of our listeners, Major General, who asked, SK, would love to know if the CEO of the post office and the exec, did they get increases over the past two years? Of course not. So, Major General, there's your answer. Mark Barnes, uh, we are going to leave it there, allow you to get back into those negotiations at the CCMA. And uh, that was uh, the post office uh, CEO, Mark Barnes. And uh, they are offering 6% at this point. The workers are demanding 12% salary increase. Workers who have not had uh, wage increases for two years. So that one's going to be a tough negotiation as it stands. This message is brought to you by KZN Cocta. I am Nomza Mungongo. The Mandela Day Marathon has been growing in leaps and bounds every year. In honor of a tremendous contribution Madiba made in our struggle for freedom, every South African in their lifetime should run this race. This year, I have registered to run the race for the third time in a row. Go register now. I am Kondi Singoma. The Mandela Marathon has enabled me to qualify for the Comrades Marathon. I am Fundi Pungula and I have been running the Mandela Day Marathon since its inception in 2012. As part of my participation to Centenary celebrations of this world icon, I have registered for the 2018 edition of the Mandela Day Marathon. I urge you to register before the 31st of July this month. To register, go to www.mandelamarathon.co.za or visit the Umkungundlovo District Municipality on 242 Langalbalele Street in Pietermaritzburg. The University of Limpopo Alumni and Convocation President, Advocate Bongani Thomas Bongo, invites all alumni and convocation members to the University of Limpopo Convocation Annual General Meeting as follows. Saturday, the 21st of July, 2018, 11 o'clock a.m., R40 Conference Hall. Send your agenda items at your earliest convenience to mapasa.thoti at ul.ac.za. Send confirmation for attendance to gloria.plaki at ul.ac.za. University of Limpopo, finding solutions for Africa. Sakina Kamwendo on SAFM. That's 12 minutes before one. We move over to Mpumalanga now, where police have been deployed at Lily Mine following last night's shootout between illegal miners. One illegal miner, we understand, has been shot and killed. A group of illegal miners are also reportedly trapped underground since Friday. The Lily Mine closed in 2016 after it collapsed and left three workers trapped underground inside a container. So for an update on uh, this situation, we join on the line now by our reporter Mtobisim Kalipi. Mtobisi, good afternoon. So what has transpired with regard to yesterday's shooting uh, between uh, the illegal miners and police? Afternoon to you and the listener. What you understand is that uh, police arrested three illegal miners yesterday uh, uh, after they were called to come and assist. This is after uh, the security guards at the mine noted that they are illegal, um, I mean, illegal miners at the mine. So, uh, so far, they've arrested the three people. Uh, one of them was injured and they were taken to hospital. They are saying that uh, there was a shootout between the police as well as uh, the illegal miners. And uh, the Mpumalanga's police spokesperson, Lina Shati, says that the two who were arrested are expected to appear in court tomorrow. And then also a group of illegal miners, they also reportedly trapped underground since Friday. What do you know about that? And has there been any developments? At the moment, they have not confirmed whether there are still people who are trapped underground. But uh, uh, we went to the mine. Uh, at the mine, it is quiet. There are no movements. Only uh, the security guards are seen there. However, uh, police are saying that they are busy with their operations. They will go there and uh, try to, 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 to check if there are still illegal miners who are there because uh, they are saying that these illegal miners are heavily armed and some of them were seen carrying ak forty seven. So they are saying that they are not going to relax. They are going to continue with their investigation and try and uh, find those illegal miners. They've also called on the community or the or residents here, especially near Babatin, to work together with them because uh, it is a very serious problem here in, in, in Babatin, the issue of illegal mining. And just out of curiosity, M. Tobisi, the mine, of course, was declared unsafe uh, when the rescue operations were launched uh, in, attempt, in an attempt to recover the bodies of uh, those three mine workers who died. So how then did the group of illegal miners gain access to the mine? The illegal miners, uh, um, when, when, when the mine collapsed, remember that some of them were saying that 
the, the mine authorities should allow them to go down there and search for the people who were trapped. So uh, some of them, they go there, even if it's safe or unsafe, they always go and try to find that gold. So it is by that reason maybe they have decided to go and mine, even if uh, they were told that it is not safe to go into that mine. Uh, perhaps that, 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 that's, that's the reason. And as we speak right now, just uh, finally, is there anyone around there, mine management, uh, curators, anyone at the moment? Only the security guards are here. Uh, we are told that police are also going in and out. They are monitoring the situation. But we are trying to find the, the, the mine management because they are not in the mine as the mine is currently closed. So we will talk to them to find out uh, their view on this matter. Well, we'll leave you to do that. Thanks so much for the update. Our reporter, um, Tobisim Kalipi, and he is at the Lily Mine in Mpumalanga. Well, staying with mining, Mineral Resources Minister Gwede Mantashe has again extended the deadline for public consultations on the draft mining charter. Mantashe says that the consultations have been extended until the end of August to allow for further engagements. He was speaking at a media briefing at the end of a two-day mining summit in Boxburg, east of Johannesburg. Amina Akram was also there. Mantashe says extension on public consultations on the draft mining charter was requested by stakeholders. He has, however, assured investors, labor and mining companies that the charter will be finalized before the end of this year. The minister says the Department of Planning, Monitoring and Evaluation will also assess the socioeconomic impact of the revised charter before it is gazetted. One month uh, is uh, a request from stakeholders because they are asking for the extension of the uh, public comments. We've granted that. We thought that it was not extreme. Uh, we want to get genuine views of people and not just put issues uh, that they think quick, quick. That is not necessarily pushing the, the time frame for the actual gazetting of the charter. The minister says other issues regarding mining and its challenges, including taking the draft charter to cabinet, will go ahead parallel to the consultations. There was that temptation even in this uh, summit of making the charter a bamba zonga, all embracing, taking everything. The charter is not for that. We said all those issues are documented separately. They will be built in into the, the, the program of the department. If there is a complaint of a mine that goes and, and open an open cast and exhume graves, that's not a charter issue, it's an actionable issue. Mantashe says he's confident that he will meet investment targets in the sector despite not finalizing policy. And a month ago, you will remember that Rio Tindo announced a 600 billion rand expansion of its operations in Richards Bay. Now, we must find a way of, of actually quantifying the progress we're making in the investment front because it is that quantification that will be added up and translate into what the president said we should work for over five years. Over five years. And our responsibility is to quantify the contribution of the mining industry. The new revised charter supports a 30% black ownership target on new mining rights and seeks to provide inclusive participation of those disadvantaged, including women, youth and black people. This without harming profits. Big companies invest in communities. Big companies talk to their employees. It's a modern way of running business. So running mining companies in South Africa in a modern way, where you invest in your relationship with communities you are mining in, can scare investors away. What will scare investors away is when we say it is a 10% taken away from investors. Since his appointment in February, Mantashe has been meeting with stakeholders and community members countrywide to receive inputs on the draft mining charter. Last year, the Minerals Council of South Africa, formerly the Chamber of Mines, took government to court saying the revised charter was drafted in bad faith by the former Minister of Mineral Resources, Mose Benzizwane, and his advisors. 
The court set aside the charter from being implemented in its current form. The department says it has also begun to rebuild trust and is currently still consulting with the Minerals Council in regards to transformation in the mining sector. I am Amina Akram in Johannesburg. We were just playing nearby when we heard the crash. So we ran towards it to see what happened. When we arrived, we saw smoke and fire. We were scared, but we just knew we had to help. 12-year-old best friends Mukoni Chaka and Irfa Dupria rushed to help victims of the Henenman Grunstad train tragedy in the Free State. Let's celebrate Madiba's 100th birthday by remembering the values that live within us all. Whenever you give or receive a commemorative banknote or 5 rand coin, connect with your fellow South Africans and pass on our values. Search hashtag the Madiba in me to find out more. Brought to you by the South African Reserve Bank. Tepizo. I see that you've changed your hair color. What color is that? Maroon? It's burgundy. Love it. Yeah, it suits you. Speaking of change, have you heard about the latest change in the financial services industry? Huh? It's not complicated. The Financial Services Board, FSB, which regulates entities like pension funds, insurance companies, burial societies and stock exchanges, is now the Financial Sector Conduct Authority, FSCA. They will also now regulate the way banks treat their customers. What does that mean for me? It means the FSCA will ensure that all financial services companies treat you and I fairly and that companies deliver on their promises. Sounds good. Where do I go for more information? Well, you can visit fsca.co.za or call the toll-free number 0800 20 37 22. Sakina Kamwendo on SAFM. Well, let's listen to some of your voice notes and I'll also throw in a few of your messages. Ask yourself what you and the rest of the staff at SAFM can do to save this country. Use that microphone, it is powerful. Simply choose the important issues, hold people to account on the radio and return to the topic if you do not find a solution. It is that simple. Nelson Mandela made big sacrifices. You may want to sacrifice your job. Why not ask the listeners and regular callers how they feel about using this radio to find solutions? Thank you. Peter Wiley of Grahamstown and Kenton on Sea. That's Peter Wiley there on our WhatsApp voice notes and a few other messages coming through. Um, this one says, Sakina, is it a sabotage or a matter of someone touching the wrong button? It's a shame for a national broadcaster. Some folks are laughing at our glorious democratic takeover. Will SAFM be there when the land is given back to its owners? Uh, Stima in KZN. Stima, it's not a matter of uh, anyone touching the buttons here. It is a problem, I suspect, at Centac with uh, the signal. And uh, they are working on that. I see it's up in some instances, but not throughout. Tommy says, uh, Sakina, uh, Mark Barnes has a difficult job and his job has been made exponentially more difficult by Sasa, but I admire his optimism and enthusiasm. His attitude has clearly somehow filtered through to the post office workers. And then uh, Major General uh, on uh, the bombs in KZN says, this is very worrying and disturbing. Initially, it was uh, the mosque attack and now the bombs are being seen everywhere in Durban. What is security cluster saying? about all these bombs like parcels mushrooming everywhere. Bonga Mbogazi also on that. uh, There's one reason the police use information uh, distortion tactics to maintain stability in Durban, but it's not working on me. I'm afraid it's bombs all over. Uh, Budaza says uh, from CIT, that's cashing transit heist to bomb scares. uh, Where are we headed? What's next? And Duke of Kimberley says mosque attacks are now bomb parcels all in KZN. I don't know SK, but that sounds like terrorism to me. And I think it uh, would allay many a fear if the police were to come out and issue 
a comprehensive statement on what is going on. Tell us that your intelligence knows what is going on. You don't have to tell us what they know. Just tell us they are on top of it. Uh, But of course, if you can't do that, you can't do it either. We'll leave it there. We will podcast the entire show for those of you who have uh, missed it. And we do apologize uh, for the poor sound quality in part, but uh, the total blackout in transmission and others. But uh, go to safm.co.za and you can listen to the podcast. Uh, Right now, uh, thanks to the team and thanks to you for listening. It's time for the latest news with Utsile Saku.